0: Amen. God is good. Everybody ready to learn the revelation tonight? Amen. Well, I think summer has arrived, and I can I can tell by your countenance it sort of it takes the air out of you. It's ninety eight out there, right, or something like that. And, we, and this is May. We need to pray for mercy in July and August, right? Because this is May. So I want you to stand with me, and. um I so appreciate your continuing to support our work here, the church here. We are reaching so very many people. Um, I keep getting testimonies, uh, shock testimonies, surprise testimonies that come my way. Uh, Had a a great one a few weeks ago. A young man, I told you about him, came up and told me he'd given his heart to Christ on the radio ministry and was now working with young adults at a Bible church in Plano. Well, Sunday... uh, After the second service and after I'd finished with my altar ministry, um, a lady came walking up to me, crying profusely, and said, I just had to come and meet you, and I had to come and hear you, because I was in Johnson County Jail, and I was one night searching for something to listen to, and I came across your broadcast. Now, this is just straight up verbatim. I was in there for meth addiction. I was a meth addict. And I heard your message and I started tuning in every night in my cell. I guess they let them do that. I was tuning in every night and I was learning and growing. and I was being drawn to Christ. Then they moved me to another cell where I couldn't get the signal. And so I called the church from the prison phone and the lady worked out for your printed messages to be sent to me and they became my lifeline and then he said or she said um, I gave my heart to Christ and she said thank you so much for reaching me where no one else could and I, I'm sitting here thinking you know the radio went where I can't go and then the printed sermons went where I can't go and she walked off finally after profusely thanking me and we prayed with her. And I said, are you free now? She said, I'm totally free. And she gave me a big smile and said, see you next Sunday. So that's just the kind of thing that's happening out there. So we're very, very blessed to, to hear testimonies like that. Uh, Father, we just thank you for being with us as we get into the word of God tonight. Thank you, Lord, for being with us, for opening our eyes, opening our ears And we thank you that the great teacher of the church, the Holy Spirit of God, is here to speak to us and to open the word to us. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing of your spirit, uh, helping us to understand spiritual things. Now, would you breathe a prayer, church, and just say this, say, Lord, tonight, I receive your word, engrafted into my soul, in Jesus' name. Renew me and change me and build my faith. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Tell your neighbor a new world is coming. And you can be seated. And I know that we're getting time for graduation and all that good stuff. And I just can't believe another summer is here. You know, the older you get, the faster time goes. I'm trying to wonder why. Is that you can't remember as good anymore? Or, or it's just speeding up. I don't know which, but I can't believe we're here for another summer. And, um, but it's good because we're seeing good things happen. And by the way, the studio is almost done. I was sent a, uh, uh, some pictures of the, the actual set that's being built in another state. It's just gorgeous. And we're about to go pick it up and bring it here. The room that it's going to be in, it'll be our studio uh, is almost done all that remains is the floor they ran electric all week, and so it 's not going to be very long few weeks before we 're able to go on live and just reach the world amen so we 're going to do it all right tonight. this is our fifth time in the book of revelation we 've already had five or four sessions tonight 's the fifth one and let me just do a little recap and then we 're going to go ahead and and look tonight at chapters 6 and 7. Now, we closed last time with John's prophecy in chapter 6 that follow the, following the opening of the first four seals, literally a quarter of the earth's population is going to perish. Isn't that just something else? That's something to think about. Now, a lot of what the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John tells us is not jump up and shout stuff. It's, it's sobering stuff. It's stuff that makes you want to get ready for the return of Christ, and it, it makes you want to go out and evangelize. Matter of fact, I hope this series moves us to witness to others for Jesus Christ more and more when we see what's coming upon a Christ-rejecting world. Amen? So it's a grim prediction, a quarter of the earth's population. We saw that would be about 2 billion people if it happened now, because there's about 8 billion people on the planet. But even more so, uh, when you consider this is only the beginning of God's judgments on a Christ-rejecting, ungodly world that doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. These end-time judgments have been predicted all throughout Scripture. I could read so many verses from the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, but I'm going to read one from the Psalms. David the psalmist wrote of what is coming, Psalms 96, verse 13, For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Isn't that amazing? Because that's messianic. That's David predicting the return of Christ. And so it is as the revelation unfolds, we now have three more seals that the Lord Jesus himself is going to break open and it's going to unleash Cosmic chaos with signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And can I say again, God is in charge of all of it. And, and we need not blink at the judgments of God or, or, or say, how could God do that? I was listening to Billy Graham this week. I, I have the Billy Graham channel on my satellite. Because to me, nobody preached like Billy. I just love Billy Graham's messages. And he made a statement. He said, if you did away with the judgments of God in the Bible, you would do away with most of the Bible. Jesus said. Right? But it's true. If you do away with the judgments of God in the Bible, well, I lost my little pack there. That's good. If you do away with the judgments of God in the Bible, you do away with most of the Bible. Because the Bible is full of the judgments of God. Now, before we look at the next three seals, I want to briefly recap, because you're covering so many things in the Revelation, I want us to be sure we keep up, and we've got the pace of it, and we're remembering what led to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. So, let me recap. In chapter one, when the Revelation begins, John beholds the resurrected, glorified Messiah, and he looks nothing like the Lamb of God, Jesus, when he was on the earth. Eyes like fire hair like wool, feet like brass, a voice like thunder or the roaring of many waters. He's the glorified Messiah. And in chapter 1, John is given the reason for the revelation. He says, he, he, he commands him to write the things that had been in the past, the things that were, and the things that were to come. And we shared how The first three chapters had to do with things that had been and the things that are, and the rest of the book is primarily the things that are to come. It's a massively prophetic book. No other religious book in the world dares to predict the future like the Bible. Matter of fact, no other religious book in the world predicts anything. No, they don't. Except the Book of Mormon, which they've had to revise and revise and revise and re-revise and pre-revise and re-re-revise because the prophecies that were in it failed, so they had to redo them and redo them. And oops, redo them. Because you don't have to redo anything God said in the Bible. Okay? It's coming to pass. Now, in chapters 2 and 3, we find Jesus addressing, if you'll remember, seven different churches And he brings correction to five of them while the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia are not corrected for anything, but they receive only commendations and encouragement. Philadelphia and Smyrna. I want to be Philadelphia. I want to be the Philadelphia church. Jesus said to them, you have a little strength and you haven't denied my name. See, Jesus noticed whether or not you denied his name. If you stay true to his gospel, true to who he was. And he said, you didn't deny my name. And so, since you have been true to me, I'm going to be true to you, and I'm going to open a door that no man can close. And it was a door for evangelism. And I'm going to tell you, I believe God for those kinds of doors. Every way that we can get in, we're getting in to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're in a church where you don't ever hear the gospel, you're not in a church. You're in a a club. Or some social gathering. If you're in a church, you're going to hear the gospel at least frequently. Come on, everybody. Then in chapters 4 and 5, John writes of an incredible drama unfolding before his eyes. And here's what it included, what he saw in chapters 4 and 5. The absolute sovereignty of God over the affairs of men. I want to ask you, do you believe God's sovereign over everything? What does sovereign mean? Well, you say, he he is a sovereign. What do you mean by that? He's a king. You call somebody a sovereign who is a king. That is, who rules over a kingdom. And the Bible concept of sovereignty is God rules over everything in the universe. And the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, show us that before we go into all these severe judgments and then it shows the absolute earthly authority of jesus the messiah his authority in the earth it shows the providence of god in the world uh, tribulation that is coming shows the providence of god god's in charge of it the devil's not in charge of it god's in charge of it the devil's a dog on a leash you know that right he's a dog on a leash he can't move unless god lets him And then it also shows endless awesome worship of the one who who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. So John is left totally speechless by what he sees. He's dumbstruck. Then at the beginning of chapter six, we witness the opening of the first four seals. We saw this last time and the dreaded four horsemen of the apocalypse that Hollywood's done so many movies about and we all know about, but they are not. A good thing, right? The first horse is white, and the rider is Antichrist, entering upon the stage of history. The second horse is red, and it's the horse of war, and it's granted to that horse to take peace away from the earth. The third horse is black, and it is the horse bringing worldwide famine The fourth horse is pale, and it's the horse of plague and death, and it's granted to this one to wipe out one-quarter of earth's population. Those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they begin to ride in Revelations 6. After we see this beautiful scene of worship and God being in control of all things, he wants us to see that and know that before these judgments begin to fall. Now, remember, there were seven seals, but the horsemen of the apocalypse are only the first four. We still have three to go. So let's look at these three seals. When the fifth seal is opened, the focus shifts from dreadful scenes happening on earth uh, to a moving sight in heaven where an altar is seen. All right? So this is what happens in the book of Revelation. John is taken from earth to heaven. From earth to heaven earth to heaven. He has shown what's going to be coming upon the earth, and he watches it happen as, as if in real time. And then he is taken up into heaven and shown things that we would never know about if John had not written what he saw. Now, the fifth seal is open. What does he see? He's taken up into heaven. Well, the fifth seal is exclusively devoted to a vast number of martyrs crying out for justice and God assuring them that judgment is coming on those who slaughtered them. So I want you to notice now, this is the fifth seal. No judgment is being poured out. We're just given a a view of part of what is going on in heaven. He says in verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Why were they slain? Because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. These people were killed when push came to shove. And they were pointing guns at them or swords at them and saying, renounce your faith or we kill you. These are people that allowed themselves to be killed. These are the martyrs for their testimony. All they did was say, I believe in Jesus. That's what it says. They're killed for their testimony. Of Jesus. And we find them under an altar. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Verse 11 Then each of them was given a white robe, that means righteousness. And they were told to wait a little bit longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. And just as the blood of sacrificial animals in the Old Testament times was poured at the bottom of an altar, so the souls of those who have given their lives for God are also presented under an altar. In chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, we we note that one of the elders around the throne says, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And here's what they're told. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How many of you are so thankful? Nothing can make you white and clean but the blood of the Lamb. Amen? The blood of the Lamb. And and so the angel identifies who they are. Now I want you to notice something. The angel doesn't tell them those that have come out of a great tribulation... No, he uses the definite article, the, calling it the great tribulation. These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. So we assume here that these are people who have gone through the one and only great tribulation that is just clearly revealed to us in the book of Revelation. And Jesus and many others prophesied of its coming. These are called tribulation saints. These are people who were saved during the tribulation. They, they weren't in the rapture. They were saved and will be saved during the great tribulation. And I'm going to show you how in just a moment. And, and they want to know how long it's going to be before their blood is avenged by God. And we're told that God knew exactly to the T, right down to the last one who would be martyred before he released his vengeance on those that killed them. You know, folks, let me tell you, I, I probably shouldn't, but I watch the news, not the secular news, but I read a lot of what's going on in the world. And I read a lot of what's happening to churches around the world. I want to keep my finger on the pulse of churches because I'm a church and I want to, I want to know what's going on in churches elsewhere. And I can tell you, persecution fever is rising. Things that you can't believe are happening. I heard a man being interviewed on the radio, and he was talking about being arrested for preaching Christ. And he began to tell the host of the show what was done to him. And he said, I was put into solitary confinement, I was stripped of all my clothes. I was put into a solitary confinement cell that was freezing cold. There was no cot, no mattress, no pillow, nothing. I was fed garbage a couple of times a day. I was constantly questioned. I was harassed. I was mocked by the guards. I went through this for a couple of weeks for simply preaching Christ. Then the guards came and took me and said, you're being moved. They gave me a little something to put on and they took me and they put me in a mental institution. And in this mental institution, I was questioned and I was analyzed and I was probed and I was harassed and I was mocked. And even one of the psychiatrists eventually There in this place said to me, why are you here? There's really nothing wrong with you. And he said, the reason I'm here is for preaching Christ. He said, after a couple of weeks in this mental institution where I was treated terribly, I was taken out, stripped of my clothes again, and put back in that solitary confinement cell where I stayed for more weeks with nothing to sleep on, freezing cold, shivering sick, Finally, they came and they told me I was free to go, but they told me they would be tracking me and following me and gauging my activities from then on. I'm listening to this and I'm going, wow. Then the host said this. Those of you that are listening to this program, I'm gonna tell you where this happened. Some of you are thinking it happened in the Soviet Union. Some of you are thinking it happened in North Korea. Some of you are thinking it happened in some other communistic uh, country somewhere in the world. No, this happened in Canada. Canada. On our border. When I heard that, I almost pulled over. Because I thought, look how close... Because Canada used to be a reflection of us. And now look how close they are to total communism. I I am sorry, but that's the way it looks to me. To, To socialism for sure. But look how this man was persecuted in Canada. How he was treated. How far is that from here? I don't know. That is, how close are we to that kind of thing, the potential for it, coming down here? Don't know. But here we see tribulation saints, people that were saved during the tribulation, saying, when will you avenge us? I'll avenge you when the very last one is martyred that I know is going to be martyred, then I'm going to avenge you. But God does bring vengeance, and God help the people that persecute the church. God help the people that persecute God's people. God help those who, who do those kinds of things to a, to a man like this. It was an old man. He was an old man, a, a frail old man they did this to him. All right, then when the sixth seal is broken, the scene shifts back to earth with the sight. Now he goes from heaven, now back down to earth. And he's greeted with the sight. This is a vision unfolding before John. He's receiving an open vision from the Lord Jesus Christ showing him what is going to come to the earth. And he's greeted with the sight of massive cataclysms Chaos and confusion befalling much of the world at this stage of future future history. John sees cosmic chaos unleashed. Now remember, these events that we're reading about right now are taking place in the first three and a half years of a seven year tribulation period. This is the first three and a half years. This is not the second half when it's way worse. It's the first half. (laughs) But saying that, look what goes on in the first half. Let's read verse 12, chapter 6. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. Remember, Jesus opened it. And there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. Now, look what's happening in the sky. First, you got the sun. It is totally eclipsed. It turns black like sackcloth. Then the whole moon turns red, blood red. And then you got the stars in the sky, fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Verse 14, the sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Can I, can I read that again? Every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is cataclysmic. Uh, if, you, if you pause to consider what we're actually reading here, um, it's almost unimaginable. But this is what John saw. Now, folks, let me tell you something. The Bible predicted many things that have come to pass now, that when people read them before they came to pass, they said, that's impossible. That will never happen. And they always happen just like the Bible said. So though this may seem impossible, unimaginably incomprehensible, it's not I mean, start with this one. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Before that had happened, people read that and went, well, that must be metaphorical. That doesn't really mean what it says. Oh, but yes, it did. Because a virgin conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that which was conceived in her was the very son of God begotten. Right? So the earth, says John, is going to be violently shaken. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. This passage confirms what Isaiah the prophet also predicted. Just to show you that these heavy prophecies are repeated often in the Bible. Isaiah 13, 13. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, says God, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of when, everyone, his fierce anger. And again, Isaiah 2, verse 19. Look what will happen. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Now, it's ironic that this picture of men hiding among the rocks and, and, um, and in the caves is exactly what John predicts in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, which we're going to read in just a moment. Same thing. We see that during the Great Tribulation killer earthquakes are going to rock the planet. It could very well be that a worldwide blackout will occur as a result of volcanic and seismic disturbances when ash is spewed into the sky. That's just conjecture but that could be why the sun goes dark. And there will be an awesome reddening of the moon as when a total eclipse occurs occurs. The prophet Joel predicted, and we all know this one, the the moon will be turned into blood. But this is not referring to the blood moons we've lately heard so much about. It's not that. This is a one-time occurrence during the great tribulation. The moon, you'll look up at it, and it will look blood red. And ash from volcanoes can do that. Just conjecture. But it could be that. Joel says it'll take place before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, which means the day of God's judgment and the day of Christ's return. Jesus, the same Jesus that gave John the book of Revelation, remember, same one, said in Matthew 24, 29, before he was crucified, he said, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. The phrase heavenly bodies is Uranas, and it means the visible heavens or the atmosphere. The earthly atmosphere will be shaken, deeply troubled and agitated during this time of the great tribulation. To me, it seems to suggest that meteors, possibly asteroids and other uh, interplanetary matter slam into the earth unlike the ones we sometimes see streaking across the sky make a wish oh there's a shooting star make a wish real quick before it goes away no Uh, these will strike the ground that's what he's saying Uh, stars asteros is the word from which we get asteroids Uh, those, those will strike the ground instead of just passing by and you know all the time you'll read that scientists are are very concerned about certain um, meteorites in space that look like their trajectory is headed this way. And, and they've told us what would happen if just one of them struck the earth. And they know that it could happen. And, and I gotta ask you, why has it never happened? Why, or at least not like it could, how, how, how come? Because God protects the earth until the time comes for his judgments, judgments to be poured out on the earth And then it it clearly says, stars will fall from the sky. And then the stars of the sky, I'm reading in Revelation, then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. So they strike the earth. Many of them are striking all at once. And these cosmic catastrophes are so severe, we read in verse 15, look at this, then the kings of the earth, The princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, all the who's who's, all the leaders, political leaders, world leaders, financial leaders, the rich, all of the oligarchs, all of the kings of the earth. And then he goes on, every slave and every free man. You know what he's just done? He's covered everybody. What do they do? They hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, which is what Isaiah predicted. So here you've got a repeat. You've got John being showed by, shown by Jesus the very same things the prophets concur with in the Old Testament. So this is not a one-time thing in the Bible. And look what it says. They call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The one sitting on the throne is God, and the wrath of the Lamb is his Son. For the great day of plural, their wrath has come. And who can stand? Folks, I'll tell you, every generation um, takes the whole notion of judgment lightly. Remember what Jesus said? He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Remember that? And, And then he says, here's how it was in the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, buying and selling. So, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came. The flood that had been predicted for 120 years by Noah. He had preached for 120 years with not one convert. The only people on the ark was his family. That's it. Everybody else perished. But they had 120 years given by God, grace by God to repent, and not one did. But I used to read that and go, well, why were they being judged? Because what's wrong with buying and selling and eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and doing business deals and just making a living? What's wrong with that? And then it hit me one day, the whole notion is this. Here's what Jesus was saying. They totally ignored the warnings of judgment. They were totally ignoring them. That was why Jesus described the people of Noah's day. Because they heard this man for 100, a century and 20 years. A century and 20 years. They had 120 years and they mocked him. He's the old man down the street, the crazy guy building the boat where there's no water. He's talking about water coming out of heaven when it never had yet. It hadn't rained. A mist came up from the ground and watered the earth. There had not been rain. So he was predicting something was going to come that had never happened before. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is predicting something is going to come that has never come before. Jesus Christ is going to come and appear in the clouds. And they mock it and they ridicule it and they poo-poo it and they just go about their life. And the whole thing with those of Noah's day is they were utterly unaffected by the preaching of the man of God. No conviction. And that is what happens in the great tribulation. We see the kings, princes, generals, rich, the mighty, every slave, every free man. They're in shock at what's happening. And they begin to call on nature to protect them. Instead of calling out on God. Because the Bible says later in Revelation, they blaspheme God when they realize these judgments are from him. But instead of asking for mercy, they blaspheme his name. And they ask nature to protect them fall on us rocks hills mountains fall on us we'd rather you bury us alive than face the one on the throne wow these are heavy times church this is powerful stuff look at the hard-heartedness of the people that are there in the great tribulation now we got to wait till chapter 8 to see what the seventh seal brings meanwhile Chapter 7 starts, and we're going we're gonna to quickly, because some of it we're not going to read out loud, but it begins uh, with another trip back into heaven. So here goes John, back into heaven. Now he's just seen what's coming on the earth. He's taken back up into heaven, and he encounters the tribulation saints we first met in chapter 6. Revelation 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, To prevent any wind from blowing on the land, or on the sea, or on any tree. Now, the thing to get from verse 1 is this. They're about to release judgment on the land, the sea, and vegetation. And they are told, hold back, hold back, the four winds... Don't judge anything yet. Verse 2, then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal, the seventh seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. He says to them in verse 3, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is showing John, there's going to be a sealing, S-E-A-L-I-N-G, on the foreheads of 144,000 Jewish men in the Great Tribulation. We'll talk about why in just a moment. John then names the 12 tribes, and he notes that 12,000 of these special servants are chosen out of each of the 12 tribes. 12 times 12, 144,000. We note at this juncture that between the sixth and seventh seal, there is a divine interlude that takes up the entire chapter. So there's a pause between the sixth seal and the seventh seal being opened. In verses five to eight, as I already said, John identifies Each of the 12 tribes by name. And as he watches, a special sealing, S-E-A-L-I-N-G, of the 144,000 takes place. And they are sealed with some kind of a seal on their foreheads. You remember the mark of Cain? Remember the mark of Cain? When Cain was judged by God and uh, he was made a vagabond, he was made a fugitive to travel the earth for the rest of his days. And Cain, who was the first murderer, he committed the first murder, uh, said, well, if if I have to be a fugitive and go out through the whole earth, then uh, somebody's gonna kill me because they're gonna know who I am and what I did, that I murdered my brother and they'll kill me. And God said, all right, I'll put a mark on your forehead. And it was not a mark, it wasn't a curse, it was a protection. It was a mark of protection. Because God said If anybody comes to you to hurt you, they will see the mark. The mark was so unique that somehow it said to anybody that wanted to hurt Cain, don't touch him. That's the mark of God on his forehead. And God saved his life, that mark. Now, in another sense, the mark put on the foreheads of this 144,000 Jewish men protects them while they do what God has called them to do, it's a protection. This seal is like the seal of a notary on a document. It implies protection, legalization, authority, and authenticity. It says to anybody, "They are mine." In an interesting, uh, Paul comes along in Ephesians and tells us, tells us we were sealed as believers with the Holy Spirit living on the inside. We've been sealed too. Matter of fact, can I tell you tonight, you're signed, sealed, and delivered. Amen? You're signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, God put his seal on you. What is it? The Holy Ghost. Lost people don't have the Holy Ghost. Right? No. The Holy Spirit only lives inside of those who have called on the name of Christ. Not everybody is a child of God. Everybody's created by God, but not everybody's a child of God. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. He said that to religious leaders. You are of your father, the devil. And you do exactly what he wants you to do. No, when you say, Jesus, forgive me, he seals you. He knows those who are his own. And when he returns to uh, catch up his church, he's going to know exactly who you are. He's going to know exactly, because you're going to be sealed and he's going to know that seal if you're going up. Amen? Amen. Uh, So regardless of the winds of adversity that come against this 144,000, they are kept, they are protected by God. And these 144,000 are going to be the equivalent of 144,000 Jewish Billy Graham. Speaking of Billy Graham, preaching the gospel throughout the world during the tribulation. Now, I'm glad I can give you some good news tonight because these judgments are so grim. But I want you to remember the verse that says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen? Where sin abounds. So there's gonna be no darker time in world history than the great tribulation. But here we find the merciful God sending out preachers to bring in a great harvest. And not only that, but later in the book, we're going to see that he sends out an angel shouting to the whole world, traveling the whole globe, warning them not to take the mark and warning them to turn to Christ. So God's grace is moving. Even in the great tribulation, we're about to see there's going to be an incredible harvest of souls. Now, isn't it ironic that the false Christ, antichrist, is also going to cause those submitted to his system to receive a mark. Where? On their forehead. Or on the back of their hand. Mark of the beast. We get to that later in the book. And the mark of the beast also has a sealing effect. But not for salvation. For damnation. Later in the book. Those in chapter 7 are Israelites, end time Jewish people who accept Christ as Messiah. And during the great tribulation. They become the godly remnant of the end times. And dynamic witnesses for the Lord in the end times. During the first three and a half years of the tribulation, they're going to be proclaimers of the gospel, spiritually and supernaturally protected while they spread the gospel around the world. And we're going to see the great harvest. Look what John says in verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. Now this is right after the sealing of the 144,000. So this is the result of the sealing. This is the flow, the chronological flow of the 144,000 being sealed and anointed. Now we're seeing the fruit of their ministry. After this, I looked and there was before me a great multitude. Nobody could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. This is not the martyrs we saw a moment ago. This is a vast, innumerable multitude of tribulation saints saved during the great tribulation. And it says in verse 10, they cried with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So clearly, they got salvation on their mind. Why? Because they've been saved. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, I want all of us to say this together because this is going on in heaven right now. Can you read it with me? Amen praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? John was smart. He said, you know. If God ever asks you a question, it's very wise to say, you know what? You know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Again, there is the definite article, the. So it's not just any tribulation. It's the great one, the seven year. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They got saved. Verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serving day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. That means protect them. Verse 16, I love this. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. I believe verse 16 is telling us what they had been experiencing on earth in the great tribulation before going to heaven. They were hungry, they were thirsty, the sun was beating down on them, and they were being scorched by heat. They were in a rough moment. But God says, when you're in heaven, all the suffering is over. For the lamb, verse 17, at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Everybody say, no more crying. We're going to read later at the end of the book. There's no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. It's all past tense. This stunning description is of both Jewish and Gentile people who come to Christ during the preaching of the 144,000. And amazingly, catch this. One of the great, here's one of the ways God uses the great tribulation. When people see all this stuff going on and they hear, These Jewish evangelists preaching the gospel, they say, this has to be the judgment of God. I'm going to come under the blood while I still can. And there's a great ingathering of souls during the great tribulation, although many of them will die martyrs' deaths. Amen. Let's stand together. Next time, the seventh seal is opened. Can you say with me heavy stuff? heavy stuff. How many of you are so glad you came to Jesus when you did? Amen? Amen. Amen. See, I firmly believe, I believe so much that the Bible, a a few years ago, I preached a message on a Sunday morning, and I said, I'm preaching this to put it on a CD. Um, For those who may find it, during the Great Tribulation, I was very serious. And I preached a straight up gospel message and I put a lot of things in the message, uh, signs that anybody listening to it could look around and see and know you're in the Great Tribulation and you can come to Christ. And it's a message out there, it's in the archives. Yes, Charles? Okay. Oh, you want a question? Okay, we'll take a question. Uh, that's that's fine. Here comes Brendan running. Amen. Sure. I'll, if anybody has a question, I'll take a few real quickly because we're doing great on time. Go ahead. Charles. Okay.
1: Here in in what you pointed out in Revelation that uh, the saints were crying out under the altar. Um, how long will you take, Lord, until you judge the, you know, avenge our blood. Right. You know, and ever since uh, Righteous Abel died, the blood is, and I believe that's why the earth gets destroyed by fire, because every unjust blood that's ever been shed, I believe, still cries out for vengeance. Yes. And, but we have the Spirit of God, and we want souls to be saved right now. Yes. Now, we know in Revelation 22 that there'll be an end to that opening. It'll all end. Let the unjust be unjust still. Let the unrighteous be unrighteous still. It'll come to an end. But right now, it's hard for me to think like in this, they're crying out for vengeance. And we're not to be crying out for vengeance now. We're to cry out for people to be saved. And Father, forgive them for they don't know what. When does that transition of us, you know, and, and Jesus, when he comes in revelation 19 and all the saints, the army of heaven with Him. well, they're saints, they're in white robes. They're not angels and they're coming, you know, with the Lord to execute vengeance and righteousness. When does that transition? Have you ever thought about it? Cause I I think,
0: I think what they're, they're doing is they are, we have to understand God's a God of holiness. He's a God of love yeah, and we hear a lot about his love, and I'm all for the love of God, but he's also a God of holiness. Because he's a God of holiness, he has to be a God of justice. So what they're echoing, this is a time of final judgment. And what they're echoing is there has to be an answer for what has been done to all these people who were killed uh, because they stood for Christ. There has to come a time where judgment falls. And so I think that um, all that they're doing is echoing the reality that justice must be meted out. And, and the great tribulation is the beginning of that. The great white throne judgment is the final end of it. But the great tribulation is God meeting out. Let's remember real quickly when they when Jesus and the disciples walked out of the temple for the last time he said this is all going to come down. And They said, What do you mean? This temple is going to be destroyed. Not one stone is going to be left on another. They said, When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus said, When the temple is brought down, he said, These will be the days of the vengeance of our God. So when Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, 37 years. After they killed God's son, the days of vengeance fell on Jerusalem. Like Jesus said, why was Jerusalem destroyed? You killed your Messiah. And that just can't, God can't blink at that. So judgment fell. Now, I have to believe in the goodness of God. Uh, this signal keeps leaving me a little bit every time, time. okay time. Um, so... When Jerusalem was destroyed, that was the days of vengeance. So why did God let that happen? Because the wrong that had been done had to be answered. But I believe that everybody in that city had heard the gospel and had a chance to be saved. But when you reject it, then there's only one thing left. You are a recipient of judgment and vengeance. And all they're saying is, Lord, when are you going to avenge us? Because those that killed us, they're not going to repent. So when are you going to avenge us? So I think just the voice of, of God's justice
1: must come. Okay? My thought is, when do we possibly transition to partaking with him at that time? That's hard for me to When are we think. going to be
0: saying, when will your vengeance come? No, no,
1: no. It's almost like he has us participating, the armies of heaven coming with him on the, on the, on the white uh, horse.
0: Well, when he comes back. Um, it's like we have a participation time. in that. That's Does judgment he, time. Does that's He train it? us differently? Then? There, there <laughs> is going to come a time when it's eternally too late, and God's judgment, and that's the whole thing about the Book of Revelation. It ends with the most solemn chapter, I think, in all the Bible, and that's the description of the Great White Throne Judgment. And that's that's when the whole world is judged, and it's it's done. That's it. It's over. Or I'll do one more question. Yes, sir, Robert. Ever since I first started walking with the Lord, um, I heard about the rapture. And the term or the the scripture that everybody keeps talking about with with respect to the rapture is that no one knows the day or the hour. Mm Mm-hmm. When I go back and look in Matthew, Mark and Luke, when the Lord said that, he was specifically talking about his second, his return, which means it really isn't talking specifically about the rapture, is it? I think in Matthew 24, uh, you're reading a description of the actual second advent. Um, That is when he appears visibly in the sky. He doesn't come like a thief in the night in the second advent. He comes visibly. He says, every eye will see him. And those that pierced him, I think he's referring to the Jewish people, those that pierced him. Um, That's different. The second advent, in the rapture, we meet him in the sky. In the second advent, he comes to the earth. In the rapture, it's a secret. Uh, He comes like a thief. Second coming... Everybody knows it. And he come, in the rapture, he comes to take us out and to take us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the second advent, he comes to bring judgment and to stop the war of Armageddon. Um, so I could go through. There's many differences. But I think when he talks about lightning appearing from the east to the west being that visible, he's talking about the second advent because everybody sees that. Everybody sees it. So I think it's the second advent in Matthew 24. And he's not, uh, as a matter of fact, he may deal with both when he talks about two grinding at the mill, one taking and one left, two asleep in one bed, one taking and one left. You could have both events included in the same chapter. Could be. But I think the lightning from east to west and all of that, that's the second advent, clearly visible. The rapture, the world is clueless. Like Enoch walked with God, boom, he was not. Okay? Does that help? Okay. All right. Uh, that's it. So let it be written, so let it be done. In that way, what, what Yule Brenner said in the Ten Commandments so let it be written, so let it be done. Let's pray. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just praise you right now. For your goodness, for your blessing. And Lord, when we read these things and we, yet we see the grace of God moving in the tribulation, many, many, many saved, even during that horrible time. Thank you, Lord, that your grace never runs out. It's amazing grace all the time. We praise you for it and thank you for it and bless you for it. Father, help us to win as many to Christ as possible in as many ways as possible in as short a time as possible, in Jesus' name. Amen. And bless the people of God as they go. Thank you for being here tonight. Have a great, great
1: night and a great week. We love you.